1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. I started to look into football and I realized the football industry is really interesting for a lot of reasons. The most interesting reason is because it's the world's largest sport three billion football fans in the world bigger than any religion in the world okay that's interesting the second interesting part of us that there were no global leader in football at that time the biggest football site had like one and a half million users per day out of three billion football fans it's so a very fragmented and most football products looked more or less the same and was quite boring so i said okay let's try to build a football product
0: Welcome to Coffee and Football. I'm Sebastian Alvarado, and I'm the host of this podcast, where I sit with some of the most interesting and influential profiles in the game to learn about their lives and career journeys. This podcast is presented by Eleven New York, a football brand and concept of premium apparel and original content for those of you with a refined taste. And full disclosure, I am a partner in the company. Please check it out at elevennewyork.com. In this episode, my guest is Patrick Arneson the co-founder and ceo of Forza Football, the Swedish tech company behind some of the world's biggest football apps. Here Patrick takes us through his journey from a disgruntled 21-year-old startup ceo servicing traditionally minded brands to creating one of the most innovative and sought-after football tech companies in the world. We touch on things such as taking the decision-making power from FIFA and giving it to the fans. What app developers and companies can learn from a 93-year-old sushi master. Why company boards don't make sense. And closing the doors on venture capital firms. All that and much more. This was a fascinating conversation. So without further ado, here is Patrick Arneson. Patrick Arneson, welcome to Coffee and Football.
1: Thank you very much. How are you doing today? very very good i'm a, I'm a bit jet lagged uh yes came home from tokyo so i've slept one and a half hour the two last days but uh, tonight i slept like seven hours so now i'm back on track that's what how many
0: hours time difference
1: i haven't checked actually i think it's uh six or seven i think
0: yeah that's right i went to japan about yeah a couple of years ago i think it was 13 hours from new york yeah that's about right it's what, what, what amazing brought, what brought you to japan
1: so I was there for the first time one and a half a year ago, and I really fell in love with uh, Japan as a country. I think it's the most amazing experience you can uh, you can experience when you visit a new country because it's so different to uh, all other countries. I would say it's even more different than Cuba's. So that is what I like. Like going in, every single experience is a new kind of experience. Even going into something like a 7-Eleven is a new experience in Tokyo because the people are different, the products are different. So that is what I like the most. But also the fact that they have a lot of proud of the work they do. No matter what they work with, if they work in a toll gate, they are really proud of their work and they're trying to do it as good as possible. In most other countries, people just do the work and they don't like it and you can see it, you can feel it, and that will affect how you feel as well. But in Japan they are always very proud and always try to optimize the work they do and do it better every day. And I really, really appreciate that.
0: So other than that, what were some things that really struck you as as very different from and when you say different, are you comparing to Sweden specifically Or is it more about Comparing to the western world
1: Yeah comparing to the western world Or or the rest of the world Because I think The western world looks More or less the same Like you have almost The same products In in the US As in Sweden But if you go to To Japan To, to a 7-Eleven I spent like one hour Taking photos Of strange products In a 7-Eleven In, in Turkey Because there's so many Cool things there and just uh, yes, simple things like if you go to a petrol station, like in in the western uh, western world, they have the card machine and like uh, these big things where you where you fuel your car is on the ground, but in, in Tokyo they are in the roof instead, which I think is so much smarter because you optimize the efficiency of the um, of the of the area, and uh, so I think they they've tried to optimize. Every, same with like subway. You if you go into the subway you can lick the floor because it's so clean and I love it. And if you go to the subway in Stockholm it's like disgusting and um it's every, so everything just works. Even like communication, train, everything and it's just great great products and I really love great products and there's too many really really bad Same with going into a restaurant, like in Sweden or US or wherever, you really need to research because the likelihood of you going into a restaurant which serves really bad food, it's very, very likely that it will happen. Uh, But in Japan, it will never happen. You can go into any place and they, because since they're so proud of of the work they do, they will give you a great experience.
0: Are there any specific learnings would you say that you could take from there and, and apply it to your work life and the way you operate your company?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, so we build a product. So their way of thinking about product is, is of course, something we can get from there. So, uh, so my biggest inspiration is a sushi chef called Jiro Uno. So he has a sushi restaurant in the subway of Tokyo. And he has worked with the sushi for the last 70 years. He's 90 years today. And he was the first first sushi restaurant in the world to get three stars in Gidde Michelin, which basically means it's worth traveling to that country, eating that food. And that's cool. But then if you think about it, okay, so what's, what's sushi? So it's raw fish, it's wasabi, soy and rice. Four ingredients. The only ingredients that is cooked is actually the rice. And they have perfected those four ingredients that much, so it's worth making a trip. And that is is very, very remarkable. And it also says that you can always improve. So he says like, every day I go to work, I need to improve the experience. Otherwise, people will not come back. And that is very, very true. But to live after that uh, the mantra is very very hard but he has done it for the last 70 years and, and that is what I'm trying to bring to what we do so we do a football app, we basically have 50,000 ingredients we can, as I call it, yearify our ingredients for probably 2,000 years because we have so many ingredients so it's not about adding stuff It's about, it's about making them better the existing features and I think that is the product developer's dilemma that you add stuff because it's more fun adding stuff And if you look at Giro, he's very, very confident in what he knows and doesn't know. So he says, I don't serve drinks because I don't know drinks. I serve water. I don't serve desserts because I don't know dessert. And I really, really like that, that way of thinking. So find your core and enhance the core. And most companies are very, very bad at enhancing the core as you can say, especially app developers or digital products uh, as a whole is very bad at enhancing the core because people just add, add, add more stuff and make the core more comp- uh, complicated to use. And um, I would say the best product, in, the best company in the world to enhance the core is Google, the search engine. They are 20, last 20 years, they have focused on the speed of the results and what results they're viewing. They haven't added a single button. To the, to the page. They're just trying to improve the core every, every day and uh, more companies should do that. Most services just get more and more complicated. Why do you think that is? Uh, because it's more fun adding new stuff. If you are a product developer, like what do you want to do? You want to add stuff. You want to new, make new stuff. So I just think it's it's how humanity works that you want to do new, 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 new stuff. And improving stuff is, is not as fun. But I think you need to remind yourself and remind your team that don't forget about the core Uh, because in the end of the day that is why people use your product our product for some football they use to check scores okay so what's our core it's live scores okay so what does it mean we need to improve the speed we send the results and how fast you can view the results nothing else and the number of leagues we cover nothing else is important we don't do news we do scores that's our core
0: and we are obviously going to dig much deeper in, into all these topics oh and just as a side note for those who are not familiar with uh giro who has a restaurant in tokyo there is a phenomenal documentary called Jiro dreams of sushi that everybody should watch and uh, and that is definitely somebody to follow there's a phenomenal segment there because he works with his son who's like 60 plus years old yeah. and um they're talking about the rice and the importance of the rice in sushi and uh his son, who's like sixty plus, he still hasn't been allowed to really touch the rice because Giro doesn't see that he's quite ready for it just yet.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, uh, he can actually do the rice. So he actually, but uh, it's uh, there is also one guy doing trying to do it, the egg omelette for every day in three months, and he doesn't manage to make it perfect. And uh, at the time, he had been with Giro as a so the apprentice period is ten years and after three months he finally managed to do the, the egg omelette correctly, according to Yero and, and he cries when he gets the approval on the egg omelette and that is something you believe should be pretty simple and that you should be able to do after 10 years as an apprentice, but obviously not so very, very high standards for, uh, for the product, but yeah everyone should watch it, I think I've watched the documentary maybe 100 times or something like that
0: um we got off to a little start here, but uh, when I walked in, typically I actually do these interviews in New York. Today we are in your hometown, which also happens to be my hometown in, in Gothenburg. Um, can you please describe the the setting and, and where we're sitting here today?
1: Yes, our office is uh, located in the city center of Gothenburg, and I believe offices are really, really important. So basically if you work eight to five which is normal work hours. You spend seventy percent of your life in your office, and you spend, tend to spend a lot of money and time on where you live, where you only spend five percent of your time. But offices generally like they should be boring and not creative. Just you know something where you go, but I would say since you spend seventy percent of your time here, you should spend seventy percent of your money, your effort to make. That, a really really awesome experience so, so we have spent a lot of time uh, to make this office great so the goal was to create the world's best office so one important part of this office is, uh, is sound levels. so we have three different floors where each floor is one level of sound. So the first floor is where we have the the football pitch, the shuffleboard, the ping-pong table, and the kitchen. All the things that generate noise is on the same floor and where you can be loud and stuff like that. And then you have the second floor, which is the work area, where we can close the doors and where it's quiet and where everyone should be quiet as well, where we have a lot of trees and plants and stuff like that to get you more relaxed. And then the third floor is the relaxed area. So we have a library where you can sit down and read a book and we have, of course, the Japanese sand room as well where you can lie down and, and rest and, and watch a photo of Jiro and get inspired.
0: Yeah, and it is a, a remarkable space. The description doesn't quite make it justice.
1: I will try to improve my sales pitch for the office. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: is, it is fantastic. It, um, actually, my first question typically is, um, I forgot it here, is... Since the theme is coffee and football Obviously I have to ask the question How do you drink your coffee?
1: Uh, I always drink a double macchiato uh, So I have uh three coffee places here in Gothenburg. In all the cities I visit, I have my favorite coffee place. So in in Gothenburg, there is actually really, really good coffee. So I have three different coffee places where I drink my coffee, always a double macchiato. And I just realized now that I have it's 9 a.m. in the morning and I've had one coffee at each of the place. This morning I had a meeting at 8 a.m. and a coffee before that and then a coffee during that meeting and then a coffee with you right before we started here. So Double maquette at one of my uh, favorite coffee bars here in Gothenburg.
0: So now that that we got into the office, what does a typical day look like for you? So from the moment you wake up, what kinds of routines do you have? And then from there on?
1: Mm, so uh, I'm a very, very bad morning person. So I'm always very, very tired when I wake up. And uh, I'm very, very quick at morning. So... After, after after the alarm goes off, I actually have 10 minutes and then I'm out of the door. Never eat breakfast at home, but uh, I walk to the office and uh, take uh, coffee on my way to the office. And then we have uh, breakfast every morning, great breakfast here at the office, uh, which I usually, usually eat together with my colleagues. And most of the times I'm in Gothenburg, but I travel quite often as well. But the routine is more or less the same. I just eat breakfast at a different place and drink coffee at a different place. But I always start with a uh, double macchiato before before breakfast.
0: And from there, once you get into the office, what, what does that day look like?
1: It's a lot of emails. I think that is a very, the, the most depressing part of my work is emails spend a lot of my time uh, reading and replying to uh, emails and uh, also a lot of meetings, which I think is the fun part of my job, Uh, meeting people, uh, both team members and trying to inspire them and uh, stuff like that, but also meeting customers and partners and also also a lot of traveling because most of our partners are not in Sweden, especially not in Gothenburg. So uh, I travel a lot to to the UK and to Holland is pretty common as well. Amsterdam, Nike has their head office there, And uh, yeah, I would say Amsterdam and, and London is pretty common. And also uh, Italy as well since we, Italy is the country where we have our biggest user base.
0: What types of partners are those typically?
1: Uh so it could be rights holders, so it could be like the uh, Sky Sports and the Bt Sports and stuff like that. But it could also be advertisers in the app like Nike, Adidas, uh, Heineken, EA Sports. So we um, since we have since we are really proud of our product we try to Work with really relevant advertisers and make a really, really good integration into the app. So, so, we spend a lot of time on meeting the partners, trying to understand their needs, and building really creative campaigns together with them in the app. I think, like, one of the cool things we do is that every time a Nike or Adidas player uh, scores a goal, we will display in a notification message what boat they were wearing when they scored that goal. And we will actually have an image of that boat in the app and then you can click on it to buy it as well. That is relevant, great advertising. And that is the, the kind of things we try to do. We also work with betting companies, uh so meeting them a lot as well.
0: Do you ever experience any backlash from from current users if you as you integrate ads into the applications or or has it been fairly
1: Compared to our competitors we've always have the by far the best ads and uh because we have spent so much time on getting relevant advertising so until recently we haven't had ad networks at all we've just contacted our advertisers directly but since we've grown a lot like we realized it wasn't scalable so like in the US and uh, like, which is a quite big market for us, our revenue for the last five years is zero dollars, and uh, that isn't scalable in the long term. Uh, so we didn't manage to get advertisers on all the markets. So we have started getting in some uh, some ad networks, but tried to make it very very good. And uh, when we did that, uh, some users complained, but we also communicated in a very very clear fashion, like saying like, okay, we will try this because. Our CFO told us that it will not be sustainable to not earn any money uh, on this market where we have 250,000 users and we need to, to try this. But our goal is to only have relevant ads. That is what we want to achieve. I think many, many products are destroyed with really, really bad ads. And also the way like the app industry have worked recently is like, look at these really, really bad ads and uh, pay to get rid of them. I don't think that is a good way to do it because you're basically blackmailing your own users with really, really bad ads. Uh, it's not bad good for the users, it's not good for the product because you're blackmailing them and you're, it's not good for the advertiser because you're using the advertiser as a, as a blackmailing tool. And so we, we never want to end up in that situation like big interstitials taking over the whole screen and you need to wait, wait like 20 seconds before the, you use the product. So um, relevant ads is very, very important for us. We have a team of 10 people only working with selling and implementing really, really cool ads.
0: Do you have anything that you do to constantly keep evolving yourself?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I started something pretty recently, which is probably one of the best things I've done, is that I sent out a anonymous feedback form to all my, uh, all my employees, where I asked them three questions. So the first question is, how awesome do you consider Patrick to be? And then you rate from zeros from zero to ten. And then the second question is is a free-filled text where we ask, what things do you think Patrick do great today and should continue doing? And what things do you think Patrick needs to needs to improve and or stop doing? And they answer whatever they think there. And the last question is uh, have Patrick improved since the last t- time you did this poll? And that has been, it has been by far the most valuable tool I have used to improve myself. Because even though I have a very, very open em- environment here, and I want everyone to be able to say what they think, especially about me, it's quite hard. But that tool makes it very, very easy to be open with what I need to improve. And things that, have, that I've got from that tool is things that I even didn't know by myself, even though I've worked with these people. And it's quite easy for me to improve. But I didn't know about it and if I don't know about it it's very very hard to improve. I would say that is the most most valuable uh, tool and then I also listened to some audio books uh, autobiographies of people that inspires me um, like um, there's a good book called Let People Go Surfing about Patagonia uh, the brand. Also listened to the book uh, Shoe Dog with Phil Knight of uh, Nike. That was really good as well Also some podcasts as well. There's a really good podcast called Master of Scale with Reid Hoffman that I can highly recommend to everyone.
0: So um, according to your employees, what does Patrick Arniston do really well?
1: Uh, According to my employees, I would say the most common thing is to uh, show passion for the product and spread energy between uh, the employees. Yeah, that is basically... People like my energy and passion for the company, and that makes them more motivated. Basically, and what do you need to improve on? Uh, it's twofold. That so some people think that I should relax more. <laughs> what does that so, mean? So my biggest range is also my <laughs> my biggest my biggest range is also my biggest weakness. One comment was like, Patrick, you have a lots lots of energy at the office, and sometimes you just need to relax a bit. And also, it could be that I'm very I'm talking very fast and thinking very fast so when I talk to people and ask them to do things that I think are important I don't describe the task that well I just assume that they will understand everything and ask questions if it isn't unclear and uh, that is not happening every time uh, so that is also a very very common mistake for me so as um, so I would say it's, it's an idea but also being clear clear in the task I give uh, that is something I really really need to I really need to improve and work on do you have any mentors uh no is there a reason for that no there's no reason i would say like hero is my mentor even though i've never met him i just watch his documentary all the time uh i think it's it's very hard to give advice uh, i think it's very easy to end up in a situation where, you're, where you very think that you're so brilliant and you can give advices to everyone but i don't think it's i don't think it works like that i think like asking the people you work with how you can improve that is great but um, asking someone else that you don't work with what you can improve is quite hard because they don't spend the time with you like if you meet them one time every second month how are they supposed to improve you it's impossible same thing with like that is why i hate boards like company boards like the idea of that the board will have like great ideas on how to, how to improve a company it doesn't make sense. If they meet once every second month, like what should they know about the company? How can they know more about the company than me or the people that work in the company? It's basically impossible. I think you should ask for feedback for the people that you spend the most amount of time with and your team members are important than family and friends a board will never come up with good decisions because they just they're meeting 2 hours every second the month they don't know your product they don't know your challenges uh, so that is one thing we're trying to uh, include here like so, so most companies are run like a pyramid so you have the shareholders they have a, have a lot of decision power since they elect the board then you have the board that is supposed to set up the strategy and stuff like that, long-term strategy. And then they give it to the CEO and then the CEO give it to the manager, middle manager. And then it comes down to the bottom of the pyramid, which is the people who do the work. And they have the least to say, but they have the best knowledge in the product, in the company. So I'm trying to invert that pyramid in our company uh, where we move the decision power to the people who work in the company, not to the board. Because I just think it makes sense. If you work here, you spend most of your waking time thinking about this. And then you will come up with much, much better decision than during a two-hour board meeting every second month. Because the board members are not superhumans. They must have been superhuman if you believe that they will come up with better decisions. I just don't think it makes sense how most companies are being run. And I'm trying to change that.
0: I'm sure I'll get back to this as I get to know you in this conversation. But I, th- I find it very interesting in that sense. Compared to most others out there, you're still a fairly young CEO of a, of a considerable company in that sense. Uh, you seem to have your ideas fairly clear. And you want to change things and implement it and do them
1: differently here. Where do you think that comes from? Um, so I basically think it comes from when I started working when I was like directly after high school. So I haven't, I haven't gone to university until I started working directly after high school. And I started working at a really, really big company, Internet Service Provider. And there is a huge company in Sweden called Telia. And I started working there and I realized like there is so many things that is broken at this company. Like, the major, majority of the things in comp- this company is broken. But when I try to fix those broken things, like the managers told me, don't even spend time on it. It's not worth it. Also, on that day, I decided I was 19. I will never work for a big corporation in my life. Okay, then going to university isn't important at all for me. And then I worked for uh, another internet service provider that was smaller, like 40 employees, and they had been around for 12 years. But I realized there was a lot of broken stuff there as well. So uh, And people weren't satisfied, and they did a lot of things in the wrong way, and it was a lot of politics and middle managers and stuff like that. So I decided, okay, the only way to do it is to start from your own and learn from the mistakes you have, uh, you have seen at other companies. And then I joined a uh, joined startup and we did a lot of mistakes uh, at that startup for seven years. And then I took that learnings to this startup and tried to improve it. So I think it's a, I've seen a lot of bad, bad companies and I really want to uh, change it. And I also, I also have realized that money isn't important at all. Yeah, for your well-being and I realized that really early because when I was young I, I started making a lot of money at a very, very young age and I realized it doesn't affect my well-being at all and I'm very lucky that I realized that when I was young because most people realize that, that when they are like 50 years old and then they've tried like fighting all their life to get more money and then they realize oh shit, it wasn't important then they've wasted 50 years of their life and that sucks. So I just want to uh, optimize for happiness. And uh, what makes you happy? It makes you happy to work with the people who love the work they do. Okay, how do you make them love the work they do? You make them feel involved that they are being part of the decision. So in the end of the day, it's just egoistic. I just want to be happy. And how do I optimize for happiness in my company since i spend spent so much time here? How do I make my teammates happy? Uh, which, because if they are happy... I will be happy. And uh, I'm not scared of making mistakes. That is another thing. Like In order to improve, you need to fail a lot. A lot of times. And I'm not scared of that. I'm confident in doing mistakes and talking about the mistakes with everyone.
0: Hey, just a quick update. Coffee and Football is now presented by Eleven New York. A football brand of high-quality apparel that includes cotton tees, French terry bottoms, and my favorite, socks made out of merino wool all products are made in los angeles and in north carolina please visit 11 new to view it all and it's a special for coffee and football listeners for 15 percent off your next purchase use discount code cf11 that is cf and the number 11 thanks guys before we dig even further into the company i'm curious to learn a little bit more about your background because I'm sure there's some influences there that have shaped you to who you are today. But let's start from the beginning. Um
1: where'd you grow up? So I was born in Gothenburg and when I was two, I moved to um Östersund, which is in the in the middle of Sweden. Small town with really like population of sixty thousand or something like that.
0: That nobody knew of until this past year or two.
1: Exactly. So I really regret that. So when I lived there, they were playing like their the football team was playing like in Division 5 or something like that. So no one voted for that team. So what you did back then is that you just... Picked that team of your own like okay I picked this team in the south of Sweden because they are playing in the in the highest division so no one voted for that team and I really regret that because it would be really cool to be part of that journey they have made from division 5, 6 to, to the top division and uh, playing the playoffs in the Europa League that small city and um They also want to do things different than most other football teams in the world and so I think they have a lot of common so I really respect them I think it's really really cool and I also love the fact that they're always talking about the team team I think that the only the most negative trend i see in football that is is that it's getting more and more individual based that you believe that oh there was a manager in this team who did great let's move him to this team then he will be great but the world doesn't work like that that manager was was managing the team in one city with a set of players that he worked really good with good, good with that doesn't mean that he will work good with 20 other players in another city like same with players I get this player he's good in that team okay then he will be good in our team sometimes like football teams doesn't seem to understand team dynamics which is very 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 strange because they are called football teams not football individuals
0: yeah absolutely um, how would you describe your upbringing
1: I was raised in a middle class middle class family and I would say one thing that really really affected me was that my father worked as a policeman before and he really loved it it was the best best uh, occupation he ever had but as most other people he stopped doing that because he was going to work in my father's uh, bread company where he will obviously earn more money than as a policeman but he gave up the best job he already he have ever had to work with something that was less interesting but made him more money And I think uh, I saw that and then I realized, okay, doing what you love when you work, is very, very important. And you shouldn't optimize for money. You should optimize for, for happiness. So I think that affected me a lot. And then also, uh, when I moved from Szechuan uh, back to Gothenburg when I was 12, uh, also affected me because it's hard to move. You really need to find new friends, which means you need to uh, increase your social skills and stuff like that. So that affected me as well in a, in a good thing. I think it's good for kids to move because it, it will challenge them you You will be too confident if you just live in the same place all the time
0: and now Gothenburg is obviously your hometown. You talk a lot about Gothenburg and in, in relation to your company and when you put things into perspective and I want to get into now and you know where and and how it all started. but before that, why did you start this company
1: um so basically, I was. I was running this startup before. We were basically a consultancy company working with search engine optimization, so helping companies get higher ranks on Google. But we tried to do that different, so we basically charged for the amount of clicks we delivered uh, to the companies we worked with, which was very unusual. Around what time was this? This was like 2007. So I was basically 21 years old back then, and I was running that company, and... We worked with a lot of big corporations and had this performance-based business model, which I thought was just brilliant because we only charge if we delivered performance, and that is how all the businesses should work. And we worked really hard; we delivered great results, but also meant that the company had, companies had to pay out pay us a lot of money. And I went to that meeting with a proud like presentation with all the performance we have made, and every single customer told me, uh, "We need to terminate; it's too expensive." And I told them, like, no, it's not too expensive. Mm-hmm. We have, what you're basically saying is that we have, deli- we have delivered two good results to you. And then they told me, but yeah, but you cost me 20,000 euros per month and I can buy this for 500 euros per year. Yeah? And they said, yes, you can do that. But if you pay 500 euros per year, you'll get nothing. And now you get a lot for 22,000 euros per month. What do you choose? And the middle managers told me I choose 500 euros per year to get nothing. And that was very depressing. But that is basically how most middle managers in the world operate. They're more scared of losing the job than they are interested in getting a new or better job. And what you do then is that you never take risk. You just want to do what everyone else have done previously because then you will never lose your job. So back then I said, okay, I will never, never work in the consultancy business again because this really, really sucks. Uh, I want to create a company where we run our own product where we are not dependent on scared middle managers and we started to look into different areas of work on so it wasn't like uh, we want to do football directly. We looked into hotels, home electronics, and stuff like that and then I started to look in then I started to look into football and I realized like the football industry is really interesting for for a lot of reasons. The most interesting reason is because it's the world's large, largest sport three billion football fans in the world bigger than any religion in the world okay that's interesting the second interesting part of us that there were no global leader in football at that time the biggest football site had like one and a half million users per day out of three billion football fans it's so very fragmented no global leader in it and most football products looked more or less the same and was quite boring so I said okay let's try to build a football football product. So that is how we came into to football.
0: And when you say we, who were part of that initial group?
1: So we were four people who worked in that consultancy company. So we financed it by doing consultancy on the side, basically. So it was me, it was a designer, a back-end developer, and uh, and a front-end developer who, uh, who started it from the beginning. And so we started building a football website. So the idea was... Uh, So the football industry was very fragmented. So there was thousands of football sites that wrote about football. So our idea was to create one platform where you gather all the news in one place. Which is a good idea. Like everyone thought it was a good idea. But the problem with good ideas is that it's really easy to come up with good ideas. Like, I want to build a search engine that is better than Google. Great idea. Very hard to execute. I want to build a football platform which gather all the news articles in one place. Great idea. Very hard to execute. So we spent one and a half year trying to build that website. And we failed. We failed because it's very, very hard to execute. And uh, then we spent another year building that website again, failing. So basically two and a half years of failing. Uh, Very depressing. Spent a lot of time, no one used the products we built. And then we were very, very lucky because uh, the iPhone came around and we had another guy sitting in the same office and he built an app called Sleep Cycle which had like ten million users. he was working on it alone. We were four people. we were depressed. he were happy, so we were like, okay, let's just do what he does. Let's make an iPhone app and that was two thousand twelve and then we did something that I don't that I think was very important. I don't think we realized it back then, but it was partly learning from our mistakes so instead of building a product no one has ever built before, we looked at okay, which is the most popular product in the space, okay it's a live score application, okay. How can we improve that product? Okay, they don't have notifications, they don't have personalization, they don't have lineups and videos. Okay, let's do that. So we built that for five months. We released it in February 2012, and the first month we got 300,000 users. So instead of building a new product, we improved an existing the problem with most companies that they, is that they are trying to build products that doesn't exist, with, which is really, really hard. And there is so many crappy products out there that you can improve. And more people should do that because it's so much easier to improve existing products than building new products. How
0: did you get that word out in the beginning to get 300,000 people to start using it?
1: So it was basically word of mouth. So uh, I sent some, so we have never, we have like lately tried to do some uh, user acquisition, but for the last four years we didn't do any user acquisition at all. So I sent out some press releases to some uh, app sites. Back then there were sites writing about apps, which is how different the world was like back then. That gave us like initial like twenty-seven thousand users in the first day. And basically after that day it was all the word of mouth. So we got three hundred thousand users and grew to three million basically based on based on word of mouth. Because we delivered a product that, a product that was superior to our competitors. Basically. So we actually got more users the first month than Facebook and Snapchat. And there's no network effect in the, in the product. So that's pretty good, but we were very, very lucky. The problem that back then was that we thought it was because we were so smart. A very common mistake. You be, you make something that is great, your analysis is, we are so great, we are so smart. When we built that website that failed, our analysis was never, we are idiots. It was like, okay, we did that wrong, the timing was wrong, the, this was wrong... But when you do something great, it's very, very common that your analysis is because we are smart and then you get too high on yourself and then you make really, really bad decisions because you believe that you are smart, but you were just lucky. We were super lucky. And the reason why we were lucky was that the timing when we released our iPhone app was perfect. 2012, February, everyone, early adopters looking for great apps. downloaded our app, spread it to their friends. That was the reason why we got so many users, not because we were smart, we were just lucky. But it took me three years to realize that. And during that three years, we did a lot of mistakes, but now I know it. When you start
0: this kind of company and you have a a few partners who are there in the early days, how do you go about structuring that?
1: Um, yeah, so in that case, it was kind of different since we had this consultancy company. So we were more than four people in the consultancy company. So we said, OK, since you're part of the consultancy company, you will also be part of this company. So everyone that was part of the consultancy company become uh, became shareholders in, uh, in Forza football. And so we had like 14 shareholders from the beginning, which didn't work with the product. There were only four people who worked for the product. So kind of strange structure for, for a company. Uh, the purest way would, of course, be you are, we are four, okay, and 25% each, basically. So this was not that clean structure, but uh, it uh, gave us the opportunity to fail for two and a half years since we can work with the consultancy on the side, which was good as well. So, I, uh, so they were very valuable, all the, all the people in that company anyway. And we, um, uh, yeah, and we started working with it. We failed for two and a half years and then we finally released a product that worked and uh, we started making money very fast. For me, making money is very, very important as a company. Most companies in my space don't think it's that important because they take the VC route, which we haven't done. And uh, so from day one, we have been profitable. And I think that is very important because if you are profitable, you have freedom. And freedom is fun and that improves your well-being.
0: What does the ownership structure look like today? Uh,
1: So today... I have a holding company which owns 53% of the votes. And in that holding company, I own 63% of the votes. So basically, I have 63% of the votes in the company. And then I tell my team members that you have the decision power. You do whatever you think is great for this company because I trust you guys. That is why I hired you. So that is how it looks like. Uh, I elect the board myself. So if uh, the board isn't nice, I just change the board and that creates freedom and that is what I have fought for to run a company where we have the freedom to do whatever we want the people who work in the company no outsider can come and say ah, we came up with this idea, we we think you should do that because I think that is a very, very bad way of running a company but most companies are running that way there's very few companies where the employees have the power of the strategy the long-term strategy, but that is how it works here
0: and employees do have some, some ownership in the business as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. So 10% of the shares is owned by the employees. And in that employee company, as we call it, all the employees earn the same amount of the shares. So that is also, I think, something that is really important when you run companies. That like Many companies have like shares for employees, but they say, they only give it to the important people. Then my second question is, why do you have people in your company that isn't important? They should work for you. That's a very strange way of looking at your business. So we consider everyone here important and equally important, no matter what you work with, and that is why everyone have the same amount of shares in that company. If I own one hundred percent of the company myself, I probably gave them ninety percent instead of ten percent. Unfortunately, I don't do that, uh, but uh, I think it's important to to give them to give them shares to to make them feel that they're part of the company as well. That is a very unique way of doing it. And uh, the the other way we think about it is that so after 12 months, we ask you if you have passion for the company and what you do in the company. And if you have that, you will become a shareholder. If not, you will not become a shareholder. But the, all, that also means that you should stop working here because everyone who works here should have passion for what they do. And that is something I... I talk about very very often
0: how do they cash in on that because one thing that you talk about a lot is that you want to build the best company in the world you want to build it for the next 100 years which tells me that you're not really considering in in selling the company and and cashing in in that sense so correct how do people get paid for their shares eventually
1: Uh, so that is by building a profitable company so if the company makes money, we will pay dividends and that will makes, uh, make the employees get money. So, so that is what I want to build, a profitable company uh, in the long term. So if I would get $10 billion, I wouldn't sell the company. No one believes me, but I wouldn't do it because this company is super important for me. It's so much fun working here. I love working here and selling that company to get $10 billion. How would that improve my happiness? Most of the times, money makes people depressed especially a lot of money. I've seen it a lot of times. And I think that is wrong with the society that too many people believe that money is the route to happiness, which is not.
0: And on that note, you mentioned about not taking venture capital money. I can imagine you've had a lot of venture firms uh, interested in investing in this. Tell me about that. And how have you gone about not taking anything in?
1: So basically, our, our company mission is to democratize football. And when we mean democratize football, that means that we want to move the power from FIFA or the big organizations back to the fans. We want the fans to vote on where to play the World Cup and we want to FIFA to be more responsible and less corrupt. Um, and that is a big statement, a big mission. Trying to democratize the world's biggest sport. That will take time. It will not take five years, three years, not even ten years, it will take a lot of time to do it. And VC companies their goal is not to democratize football. Their goal is to earn as much possible money on all the investments they make and sell those shares within 10 years. So if you would take VC money, their goals wouldn't align with us. And that's the simple reason why I don't take VC money because their goals will never align with us. And if you have misaligned goals, it will not work out in the, in the long term. And also if you take money, it will take away freedom. Because you're dependent on someone else' money, and I really, really, really value freedom.
0: Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?
0: You've been very vocal about this, but I can imagine that there's still VC companies knocking on your door. They know what your stand is in this. Uh, What do they typically tell you?
1: Uh, No, they just call or send an email or whatever and say, I'm in Gothenburg, do you want to meet? Or do you want to come and meet me? And like investment bankers and stuff like that. And I usually meet them. And the reason for that, because some of the people are quite smart, have some good feedback. So it's basically free consultancy. You tell them about your idea and your plans and they give you some advice and stuff like that and sometimes it's good advice Uh, so I usually meet them for that reason and we actually have uh, we have one Weezy company that is a shareholder in our company but they haven't went in with us they haven't gave us a single dollar so they bought secondary shares from people who didn't work in the company who was part of that consultancy company from my end that makes sense because then the question is like will this company be a more valuable shareholder than those people who worked in consultancy company yeah i believe so okay then they can buy some secondary shares and uh, because they will they will try to help us and have good contacts and stuff like that Uh, so we have one one bc company as a as a shareholder creando was also one of the first investors in in spotify but they haven't went in as in the traditional model model which is give money give capital to the company, to grow the company. They have just bought secondary shares. I think it was the first time they ever did that since it's not their business model, but they really wanted to get in. So yeah, we let them in.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the business. What does the business model look like?
1: Yes, we deliver a live score experience to our users where you can follow your favorite teams and get push notifications really, really fast in a great designed product. And then our revenue is 100% advertising based. So we go to Nike, tell them, okay, we have 3 million users. uh, This amount of users are in your target group and we have a great way of promoting your boots. And then we get money from them and we pay the salaries to improve the product.
0: Do you envision that model evolving or do you look at any alternative revenue sources?
1: I think it's a great model for for uh, force of football because we want to get three hundred million users and um, we can't like have a we can't let them pay in order to use it something like that to get three hundred million users. But we also have we have a secondary a second product as well, and that product is basically we want to help football clubs to get closer to the fans. It's basically an app where clubs can live stream and communicate directly with the fans. It's a really interesting way because I think. Football clubs haven't solved the way they communicate or monetize on their fans digitally. And I think we have the opportunity to solve it for them. And I think it's very hard for football clubs to solve it themselves. Why? There's one very good reason for that, because they are a football club. They're not app developers. We are app developers, and they are a football club. So I go to the football clubs and tell them, we can help you solve this problem. We have an idea on how to solve it. And some clubs say... Ah, we will solve it ourselves, and I think that's very strange. That would be like Bayern Munich coming to me and saying, "We have a so we have a football academy in Cambodia where we have a, where we give uh, kids an opportunities to train football." Like run it as a um, as a CSR project. So that would be like a Bayern Munich head of academy coming to me. I can help you educate your academy in Cambodia, and I would say, I will do it myself. which would be considered a very very strange thing of saying but that is how most football clubs react like football clubs aren't app developers they should take help from others to build platforms and uh, I think building football platforms I think we have a pretty good track record in that so I'm trying to convince the club what they should focus on and what they shouldn't focus on and uh, that is hard so I've uh, I've employed someone else to do it because I just get angry with them because I think they're I just get when they say things like that I'm very open to them what I think about the way they they think and uh, then we just uh, that's not good for long term so I've employed someone that do it ten times better than me um, that had a lot of more what's what's mood patience yeah uh, I have a lot of more patience patience isn't my is a big weakness as well.
0: Tell me a little bit more about how that app works so is it a, is it a white label solution basically that yeah. you uh, you sell it into the club
1: yeah so it's a white it 's an app it 's a white label solution so it 's an app where the clubs can create uh, live videos, video on demands and uh, where the fans can interact and chat with the club when they create it in a closed platform. And the idea is also that some contributors, so some fans that are very prominent and great will also be able to create content in the same platform. So for example, it could be, we have done some really cool things like a live, live chat with the sports director of IFK Guttenberg. One hour's live chat where the fans can interact and ask questions directly to the sports director about the transfers and stuff like that great content great way to take fans closer to the club and it's all about fans like in a in a closed platform so the way the clubs will monetize is also that some content will be a premium content so you need a membership in order to get that content it could be like live streamed youth matches for example so yeah that is how the way it works I showed it for you briefly but I think it looks, looks amazing and I think it's a really really important problem to solve because The way clubs work today, spending a lot of time uploading great content to Facebook, just give it away for free and Facebook monetize on it, that is not a good business idea. Uh, Basically, the amount of money clubs monetize digitally is ridiculously low. It's more or less nothing. It's like we earn more money digitally than most football clubs in the world. So I tell them, we are pretty good at this. Let's try to do this together. Because what's the reason for having 80 million Facebook fans? How do you monetize? Like nothing. You just post things there and you get 200,000 likes. But what is 200,000 likes worth? And they give all the data to the big platforms instead of getting the data themselves. I heard the, the interview we had with a guy from Arsenal and he talked about that problem. And I think it's very, very common. But most of the time, the clubs try to build their own platforms which doesn't make sense because they aren't digital product developers. They are football clubs.
0: What's your biggest challenge? What's that one thing that keeps you up at night?
1: Mm, to, right now, we want, to, we want to improve the data we deliver to our users and we want to do that by crowdsourcing data. Uh, we want to cover all the football matches in the world and that is, will be a hard challenge and something we haven't done before but we are testing it and it looks pretty good and uh, that is by far our biggest challenge how do we go from covering 500 leagues or 90 leagues to 50,000 the other big challenge is for Force FC how do we really really create a, an app that gets fans closer to the club and make the superior club platform so, our product missions are my biggest challenges. How many leagues do you cover right now? So, with proper live score, like with great coverage, we cover 96 leagues. So, that's our competitors. We cover exactly the same amount of leagues. So, that is why we want to cover 50,000 leagues. How do you do that? By crowdsourcing. So we ask our users, do you want to help us report this lineup and uh, please do it and you will get some recognition if you do it So we want to crowdsource our way from 96 to fifty thousand because then then we will, then we will <coughs> cover one thousand more leagues than our competitors and probably be 10 times better so basically if you have an eight year- old daughter playing in the, in, a, in the US we want we want you to be able to follow her in our application and get a highlight when she scores a goal.
0: What new areas excite you the most?
1: Good uh, good question. I think what excites me the most is when people who are grown up with smartphones, when they will start developing apps, That's, That will be really, really interesting, because if I look at the people who develop apps now it's not people who have grown up with a smartphone. it's people like me. And I think the most interesting Internet products came when people who grow up with the Internet started developing Internet products or web-based products. So the people who grow up with smartphones when they start to develop apps, then I think we will see some really cool stuff. I think the apps we're using today is just not that cool. It's just extensions of websites in another format. Some apps are pretty cool, like Uber, like that use all the benefits of a smartphone. But most apps doesn't use all the benefits of a smartphone. And I think there's a lot of cool things to be developed, like the the second coolest thing is a freaking Pokemon game. Like that is how bad we are at developing cool smartphone products. So I think there will become some some uh, some really cool products when those people who are brought up with a smartphone will start thinking about great products that can be developed.
0: We're getting towards the end here. We've covered quite a bit. Is there any area you feel like we haven't really talked about that's really important to you?
1: Uh, I would say how how broken football is. Uh, (laughs) that is you know the the mission we have basically we have a FIFA where like 14 people are in a trial for corruption where they have scammed they bought a football of like hundreds of millions of dollars and um, we have a FIFA that is highly highly broken and uh, that needs to be solved and that is what we are working on we also have huge problems with um, LGBT rights in football we don't have any Gay men football player playing in any of the five top leagues, and I have never had an active football player that is gay, which is a huge problem, uh, which we highlighted recently with our big research we did with Stonewall and uh, uh, FIFA or UEFA have never talked about this issue, and uh, which means that instead they are having the World Cup in in Russia, which is a homophobic country, which also the, our research showed have another world cup in Qatar uh, with a population of 200,000 people 4,000 people will probably die just because of building the arenas and arranging that world cup it will have a big big footprint on the environment to arrange the world cup there it will be too hot to arrange the world cup there but for some reason 14 people in the executive board decided to vote for hosting the world cup in in Qatar and um, I think I know why and I don't think it was because it was best for the football fans.
0: So how do you envision it? How do you go about changing that?
1: Yes, yeah, so basically, first of all, we, uh, we display the problem by having this, by making conduct these big researches we're doing with Stonewall and Amnesty. We could show that 86% of the fans wanted FIFA to consider human rights when awarding the World Cup, which they don't do today. So we highlight what the fans really, really want. And, but in the end of the day we want to, we need to build a product that is 10 times better than our com- competitors that will then give us 300 million users and we can then democratize football and we envision it to be in 2024 we want the fans vote for where to play the World Cup not a boardroom in, uh, in FIFA we want in 2024 we want uh, transgender football players in 2024 we want it to make it be impossible to host any world cup if you are breaking human rights laws and we also if a country is hosting a world cup the population needs to want to host the world cup not what we saw in brazil where it was very clear that the football fans didn't even have want to have the world cup because it was so much problems and they build like a 200 uh, 20, 200 million dollar arena in the middle of the forest just for playing four games it's just just depressing and there's a lot of things to solve in this uh, broken football industry and same with the clubs basically you know nations owning clubs nation buying players you know that is not how football was supposed to work out so yeah financial fair play is broken a lot of things is broken. I think that is very important for for football to to uh, solve.
0: And the basic function of that is really the, the power of the masses, getting your user base up yeah. to hopefully the 300 million, and then you can do a vote among all of those. Yeah, things. yeah.
1: I know that the fans will make better decisions than FIFA. I know it. We did a poll about where it was the World Cup 2022, Qatar, got one percent of the votes. Silver playing it in Qatar. Why? The fans who own football doesn't want to have it in Qatar. Still, we play there. Doesn't make any sense.
0: Who was number one on that list? Australia. That's an interesting one.
1: Yeah, that would have been really cool. And they have a lot of arenas. They don't have to build 50 arenas as
0: well. Yeah, and they have an inf- infrastructure that yeah. works already and yeah. all of the above. I'm just going to hold you for a few more minutes. Uh, We're going to do a set of rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap this up.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. The biggest moment in your career?
1: Um, I would say um, the day after we released our uh, app Forza Football and I realized we had uh, 27,000 downloads uh, the day before.
0: The deal you've been involved with that you're most proud of?
1: I think probably when we got Nike as an advertiser one month after we released the app.
0: The most important characteristic to be successful in your position? Uh,
1: to be humble and uh, to uh, realize and learn from your failures.
0: And this one goes kind of hand in hand with that. What's a recommendation to somebody who wants to follow in your footsteps?
1: Uh, that is very I, okay I can say find a product that sucks and uh, improve that product and make sure that you are really passionate about improving that product
0: a business leader that you look up to and you think people should follow
1: uh, I think the founder of uh, Patagonia is really cool they have a really really clear mission and a really good cause in the business uh, they're doing
0: and his name is Yvonne Chouinard.
1: Yeah, and there's a book called Let People Go Surfing.
0: A book recommendation. Would it be that one?
1: Yeah, I would say Let, uh, let People Go Surfing or "Showdog." Dog about uh, Nike is really good as well.
0: A film recommendation?
1: Of course, Year of Dreams of Sushi.
0: You get to take three people for dinner related to the football world, past or present, and let's assume language is not a barrier. Who are those three?
1: Um I would say um uh Infantino, the FIFA president I would bring. Uh, I would also say um uh, uh Kim Jong un probably as well and uh Donald Trump.
0: Although the last two aren't uh, really football-related. Ah, it has
1: to be be football-related. Yes. Okay. Although
0: those three are pretty good, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It would be a very interesting dinner. Uh, And I would try to convince them to improve the world. Okay, football football individuals. And I would say Infantino. uh, And I would say Alex Ferguson. uh, And I would say Leo Messi.
0: How can people follow you?
1: Uh, downloading the app Forza football or Instagram Patrick Gardinson. My I forgot my password to Twitter so I don't have a Twitter account and it's impossible to revoke it
0: do you have anything you would like to recommend
1: solve all the broken products in the world and go to Japan
0: last question who do you think I should interview on this podcast
1: uh, Infantino the FIFA president
0: that's a good one He's he's on my list yeah good alright Patrick Thank you so much. Thanks for, for taking the time here on a cool, brisk Gothenburg morning. I very much appreciate it. I'm excited to see where where we'll see you and the and the company over the next 100 years. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of new, interesting developments coming along and, and, and also curious to see more awareness globally about the product, uh, about the company. I think there's a lot of great learnings here uh, not only for people within Sweden or Europe but but really all over the world so uh, very much appreciate it and best of luck
1: yeah thanks for having me
0: thank you thank you for listening I hope you enjoyed it if you did Please subscribe on iTunes and write a review. I would really appreciate it as we grow this podcast one listener at a time. If you have any feedback or ideas, feel free to send me an email at Sebastian at CoffinFootball.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. It will be another amazing one. Thanks again and have a great week.